0: Chemical Watch podcast.
1: Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch, intelligence to transform product safety. Hello, this is Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor of Chemical Watch, welcoming you to this week's news podcast hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. For today's episode, I'm joined from the UK by Editorial Director Geraint Roberts, from Washington DC by North America Managing Editor Terry Hyland, and from Brussels by Emerging Markets reporter Ginger Harvey. Now on the agenda today, we have the European Chemical Strategy for Sustainability, which has been the subject of fierce debate on a number of key policy areas, but which is expected to retain almost all of the policy actions originally proposed by DG Environment when it is published later this week. From Europe, we'll move to the US, where the Environmental Protection Agency has granted a request from a group of six manufacturers to conduct a Tosca risk evaluation for octa cyclotetrasiloxane, also known as D4, Setting the stage for the review of the cyclosiloxane to begin before the end of the year. And finally, following a week which should have seen representatives from governments, intergovernmental organisations, and NGOs from across the world gather in the German city of Bonn to decide the future of the UN's chemicals programme, we'll be taking a look at how participants in the global talks are tackling. The remaining vital issues. So, let's begin with Europe and the Chemical Strategy for Sustainability, the final version of which, as I mentioned earlier, is due to be published imminently. Now the path to the final version has not been smooth, and we've been following the battles over the key proposals closely at Chemical Watch in recent weeks and months. The journey started back in December when the European Commission promised a new chemical strategy for sustainability by the summer under its flagship environment program, the Green Deal, which would include legislative changes to address the risk posed by endocrine disrupting chemicals, combination effects and very persistent chemicals, among other items. Now, in early July, a leaked draft communication document prepared by DG Environment indicated that amongst its many proposed changes, the Commission's new strategy would strengthen legal obligations for chemicals and products by ensuring coherent risk management, Introduce minimum requirements for the presence of substances of concern in products, giving priority to product categories affecting vulnerable populations, as well as those with the highest potential for circularity. Ensure authorizations and derogations from restrictions for recycled materials under reach are minimized and of a temporary nature. And develop risk assessment methodologies that better take into account the whole life cycle of substances, materials, and products. Now, the industry directorate, DG Crow, launched a counterattack saying the draft strategy communication from the environment directorate included actions and concepts without prior discussion or assessment and proposed significant changes to the draft strategy, including a scaling back of several of the key proposals. Then, just as final negotiations over the strategy were due to be held, environment ministers from 10 EU countries intervened with a powerful joint plea to the European Commission to present an ambitious chemical strategy as originally envisioned. As we reported last week, the Environment Directorate and its supporters appear to have won the battle, and the chemical strategy is expected to retain almost all of the policy actions originally proposed by DG Environment when it is published later this week. So, Geraint, um, it is quite common to see a marked difference in views between DG Grow and DG Environment on policy initiatives, also compromises and delays to timetables what was different this time that actually allowed DG Environment to get most of its proposals into the strategy and in a relatively short time?
0: Yeah, thanks Kate. Um, Well, well, first off, um, we we have to remember that as of today, um, recording this podcast, um, which is Monday the 12th of October, we still don't know um, 100% what is in the chemical strategy, but we understand that the the meat of the document will bear a close resemblance to the original draft produced by DG Environment and subsequently leaked um, to the press. Um, even if the the narrative in the, the document at the beginning has been, I think, quite um, substantially added to and revised, um, and we expect to see this uh, this Wednesday, the 14th of October. Um, which um, it coincides with a <laughs> with a with a conference that we 're holding on 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 chemical policy so that 's quite uh, interesting timing um, but to answer the question um there were two key factors I think the first is that the um, and especially in making sure this didn 't um, get delayed um, is that the strategy is part of the larger green deal package of strategies and action plans on environmental issues that the European commission published last December, um, just 10 days after the new commission, uh, President Ursula von der Leyen and her fellow commissioners took office. And and at that press conference, um, von der Leyen described the the, the whole Green Deal as Europe's man on the moon moment. Um, So, you know, there was obviously going to be a lot of um, political clout behind um, the package. Um, Of course, the following months saw the arrival of the Covid-19 pandemic and uh, a massive hit to many parts of Europe's economy. And it's a moot point if the Green Deal um, would have looked the same if the pandemic had struck a year earlier. But the commissioners um, have stuck to um, the Green Deal um, and they see it as an opportunity to set Europe's economy on a greener, fitter, more competitive footing. Uh, taking into account lessons learned from adjusting to the virus uh, and the new normal. Um, so 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 that's one reason. The other uh, main reason, I think, has been the personal support of Commission Vice President Franz Timmermans, um, who's in charge of the Green Deal and has his own powerful office or cabinet that sits uh, above those of the usual DGs like environment and, and industry. Um, and, and, you know, we understand that Timmermans, uh, told DG Environment to be bold in drafting the strategy, and um, and the, his office has subsequently played obviously a key role in mediating between the different DGs as that draft was worked up into its final version.
1: Okay, thanks, Geraint. So, can you talk us then through the the real headline proposals in the strategy?
0: Sure. Um, so. Um, I think what we're um, as chemical watch uh, are, are really focused on here are the proposals which relate to chemical management regulation um, but the the, uh, the the strategy will um, also look at things like um, improving the coherence and rationalization of existing uh, processes and and regulation uh, enforcement um, how to encourage innovation um, particularly of um, a substitution of hazardous chemicals, but perhaps in other areas too, and competitiveness. Um, so, um, you know, th- there's a really broad uh, canvas for it. Um, but looking at, you know, the areas that that we're most interested in, and um, there are there are going to be more legal requirements for certain broad groupings or classes of chemicals. You know, building on what we have up. Up to now, it's largely been looking at, say, CMRs and and PMTs. So, um, uh, the, you know, there's going to be uh, more action on things like endocrine disruptors, um, probably bringing in um, <clears throat> hazard classes for them under the EU CLP regulation. Um, and Europe seems to be keen to press ahead with this, even ahead of what happens at um, UN level uh, with the GHS. Um, if this happens, that will obviously mean, have implications for safety data sheets, labels, etc. Um, there's going to be an action plan on PFAS substances. Um, there could be new hazard classes um, for uh, substances which should be known as PMTs, uh, persistent uh, mobile and toxic and, and VP VMs. Uh, Uh, There's likely to be registration of certain polymers, which, like the EDC issue, is something that's actually already been under discussion in Caracal, the the, the sort of one of the main fora in Europe for discussing uh, environmental policy uh, for some time already. Um, There could be action on uh, addressing mixtures, um, something industries doesn't like very much. Could the introduction of a mixture assessment factor in Annex 1 of REACH 2, account for unintentional mixtures of chemicals and if that is in there then that could require thousands of companies to update the chemical safety assessment part of their dossiers so um, those are some of the 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 key the key areas I think Um, and it's also worth saying sorry finally that whatever changes are made to EU chemicals legislation um, in light of this strategy over the next few years um, they're going to widen the gap almost certainly between uh, the EU and the UK um, chemicals frameworks. Um, the UK has basically said that it'll uh, carry over everything that's in e- UK in EU law, sorry, by the 31st of December this year, but um, certainly wants to uh, and insists on keeping the freedom to go its own way after that. So, uh, yeah, so the gap could get wider.
1: Okay, thanks, Caroline. So if these proposals are in the published text, um, they, they could place significant new legal obligations on companies in the mm. EU. But does a, a radical strategy mean the new legislation that, that eventually follows will also be radical?
0: Um, no, it, it, it doesn't. Um, I mean, the, the strategy will act as a, a political mandate of sorts that DG environment um, can take. Um, and, and DG Environment will be taking the lead in uh, the implementation of the strategy and and in drafting legislative and non-legislative measures. Um, but major uh, legislative proposals are accompanied by uh, impact assessments, and which look at the the impact on um, you know the various uh, industry sectors uh, that are affected. Uh, and this is this will be an area where you know, trade bodies can be expected to emphasise the costs of those things they aren't keen on. Um, So, you know, there will be a great deal to play for over the next few years, I think, as these proposals come out.
1: Okay, thanks, Geraint. So, will the REACH regulation have to be reopened?
0: Uh, Well, it depends what people mean by reopened, I think. Um, I mean, it seems almost certain that some of the things DG Environment wants to do uh, will require changes to the text of both REACH and, and the CLP regulation too, for that matter, and, and maybe other uh, regulations on things like cosmetics and food contact, for example. Um, for REACH, um, whether this um, will be done in one go, as with the um, you know the ROS recast process, for example, where certain um, provisions in the in the regulations, certain articles, as um, they're called. Um, are, are opened uh, up for revision, but others are protected from from that process. Uh, whether that will be the way forward um, could be the case. Um, some of the um, uh, proposals could perhaps be uh, brought in through implementing regulations, which are sort of daughter regulations, if you like, which um, are very specific and narrow, uh, and just just address you know um, a particular provision. Um, the commission has, has indicated that it doesn't want to reopen the entire reach regulation text for possible rewriting and um certainly industry would 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 hate that um, and i imagine that you know most people would regard that as um overkill um but so will be it'll be interesting to see which changes um are made through something like a recast um and which might be able might come through implementing regulations because um, major changes have to go through what's called co-decision procedure uh, and that involves the European Parliament and the Council of Ministers. Um, There's quite a few key steps in that process and, um, you know, MEPs and um, member states are closely involved and and can be, uh, you know, their, their views account for a lot. Um, Whereas an implementing regulation is done, uh, is is drafted by officials and then essentially approved by by a a committee. Um, So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Okay,
1: thanks very much, Geraint. So let's turn now to the US where the Environmental Protection Agency has granted a request from six manufacturers to carry out a risk evaluation of octamethyl cyclotetrosiloxane, also known as D4. Now, the EPA has recently completed the third of the first 10 chemical evaluations under the amended TOSCA, and last month it finalized the scope documents for the next batch of 20 substances to be evaluated. In each of these cases, the agency initiated the reviews. However, under Section 6 of Tosca, chemical manufacturers are able to request an EPA-conducted risk evaluation of a chemical, including for specific conditions of use of interest to them. The the review of D4 is the third manufacturer-requested risk evaluation to be granted by the EPA. Last year, the agency granted requests to evaluate a pair of high molecular weight DINP and DIDP. So Terry, can you tell us first of all uh, why manufacturers actually want this risk assessment?
2: Hi Kate, okay, sure. Well, the the bottom line is these manufacturers feel strongly that D4 is safe, and they're confident that a TOSCA risk evaluation from the EPA will show that, and then demonstrate that no regulatory action is needed. And their confidence stems from a multi-year monitoring program of D4 that industry designed in coordination with the EPA as part of a consent agreement back in 2014. And that research looked at D4 levels in sediment, in surface water, and in sediment dwelling organisms at more than a dozen sites. And many of those were wastewater treatment plants that received affluent or various inputs from nearby D4 manufacturers, processors, or other facilities using D4. And in the end, that review found a negligible risk to the environment from D4, and the manufacturers included the results of that in their request for a TOSCA risk evaluation. Well, now one might ask, why then even take the chance of asking a regulatory agency like the EPA come out and say hey no regulatory action is needed if the agency or sorry if the manufacturers don't think the EPA would regulate the substance why why even bring it up Well the reason is the way the Tosca law is set up so final action by the EPA on a chemical under Tosca generally preempts states from enacting their own restrictions on that substance Now part of the reason for that is to avoid overlapping federal and state regulations but a benefit of that here for the manufacturers, If EPA evaluates D4 and concludes that it presents no unreasonable risk of harm to human health or the environment, that too would be a final uh, action by the EPA and would block states from imposing their own restrictions on D4 unless they were able to obtain a waiver to do so from the EPA.
1: Okay, thanks, Terry. So can you tell us more about D4? Uh, You know, who makes it and and what what are its key uses?
2: Yeah, so the American Chemistry Council's Silicone's Environmental Health and Safety Center, or SEHSC, uh, they filed the request on behalf of six silicone manufacturers. Dow Silicones Corporation, Elkem Silicones USA, Evonik, Momentive Performance Materials, Shinetsu Silicones of America, and Wacker Chemical Corporation. Now, D4 itself is used primarily to make other silicone chemicals. In fact, the manufacturers said that 99% of the 340 million to 450 million kilograms of D4 made each year is used as an intermediate to make what they called, what they said were vital products for multiple different industries, from transportation to construction to healthcare and electronics. And D4 is also used as an ingredient in some personal care products. And when the SEHSC submitted the request for the Tosca risk evaluation, it also included uh, about two dozen recommended conditions of use for D4 for the EPA to evaluate. And interestingly, last week, the EPA released a revised list of possible COUs, conditions of use, that it would look at. And that revised list has just over three dozen conditions of use. Now, some of that, you know, those extra 12 listings of COUs, some of that was just splitting out similar applications, looking at the same type of use of D4, but doing so as a commercial versus a consumer use. But the revised list from the EPA does include some additional conditions of use, including D4's use in inks and other colorants. Uh, as well as its incorporation into products used in things like asphalt paving and in the manufacturing of electronic equipment and things like coating materials. Now SCHSC said that this updated list really doesn't add anything new. They said the list just is more specific, lists more specific applications for D4 and builds on the more general conditions of use that the manufacturers had recommended for evaluation and it's important to note that those are possible COUs so they will help inform uh, the the scope document which that will outline the agency's scope of review for D4 and that is uh, yet to come at this point.
1: Okay thanks Terry. So can you uh, finally just talk us through the likely implications of the risk evaluation Um, And, you know, what are the immediate sort of next steps for the EPA and the the manufacturers?
0: Yeah,
2: so now that the EPA has granted the request, the manufacturers have 30 days to confirm to the agency that they do indeed want to proceed, or they could rescind their request. The SEHSC has already said they intend to move forward and that they are prepared to pay the initial $1.25 million fee which is due at that 30-day mark. And that money goes towards the 50% of the total cost of the review that the manufacturers will ultimately be responsible for. For the EPA, the agency has three years to complete the risk evaluation with an optional six-month extension. So that's the same time period the agency has for the TASC evaluations that it initiates. And Kate, you had mentioned the evaluations for the first 10 and the next 20 substances. So, it's the same timeline. For D4, the next step for the EPA is to finalize that scope of review. There's not a set time period for that. The agency just has that, you know, full three to three and a half years to complete the risk evaluation. But it is worth looking back at the manufacturer requested evaluations for those two phthalates that you had mentioned, Kate, as what this timeline might look like. So, those Evaluations, EPA granted those review requests for DINP and DIDP. They granted those last December, but we still haven't seen the scope documents for their review. So, extrapolating from that, the scope document for D4 for that review could still be a way off. And ultimately, of course, the manufacturers here expect the TOSCA risk evaluation for D4 will show no unreasonable risks and thus would preempt any future state restrictions. And while that may be a, a likely outcome, it is not a guarantee that EPA will reach the conclusion that industry <laughs> expects. In, in the EU, for example, ECHA has added D4 and a pair of other cyclosiloxanes to the REACH candidate list, that list of substances that may have serious effects on human health or the environment. And this year, the e- EU also limited the amount of D4 that can be in rinse off cosmetic products. And then, of course, in the U.S., we are just three weeks from a presidential election. A new administration, if that is the result of the election, would undoubtedly steer the EPA in a different direction. Whether and how that might affect the manufacturer requested risk evaluation for D4, that, of course, is an open question at this point.
1: Thanks very much, Terry. Now, last week should have seen representatives from governments, intergovernmental organizations and NGOs from across the world gather in the German city of Bonn to decide the future of the UN's chemicals program. But thanks to COVID-19, this hugely important event couldn't take place and is now scheduled for July 2021. It has become clear in recent years that the goal of the Strategic Approach to International Chemicals Management, or scichem to achieve the sound management of chemicals and waste by 2020, would not be met, making the need to decide on next steps even more crucial. In 2015, governments agreed to discuss how global efforts on chemicals management should be structured after 2020, and since then, negotiators have met three times as part of CYCIM's so-called intercessional process. But a fourth session in Romania, scheduled for March 2020, was also postponed due to the pandemic. So Ginger, firstly, can you tell us how participants are hoping to tackle the inevitable backlog of issues that will have been created by the postponement of these key events?
3: Hi, Kate. Sure. So there's been a lot of debate about this in the last several months, and that's for a few reasons. Um, First, it's the UN. So it's hyper international and someone from basically every country in the world participates in these meetings. And that's going to be a logistical nightmare if you try to do it online. The time zones would be difficult. Not everyone, especially in some of the developing countries, would have great Internet access, etc. Um, And and second, while these are official negotiations and normally people take turns when intervening in the actual negotiating rooms, um, that's true. But a lot of informal discussions and conversations that are had in the hallways of the negotiations is where some of the work actually gets done. So to try and replicate that sort of atmosphere and cooperation online is basically impossible. So the solution that the Bureau uh, of SciChem has come up with is that the actual negotiating work is going to have to wait until the delegates can meet in person. Now, they're still hoping to do that in March 2021 in Romania. And then the ICCM-5 is, is set for July in Germany. But in the meantime, they are setting up these virtual working groups that will try to make some progress on the draft negotiating text. They won't actually be able to edit the text but they can have discussions and make proposals and the hope is that some of the less controversial items can be sorted out and these will take place these virtual working groups starting from later this month and there will be four of them tackling the remaining big issues.
1: Okay thanks Ginger so what are those four remaining big issues that need to be tackled?
3: Right um, I will take them one by one And I'll go by my personal ranking of most controversial to least controversial for you. Um, First, we have financing. Now, lack of funding is the main reason that SciChem's goal wasn't reached. Uh, So the questions now are, as we go forward, who's going to pay for this program and for the work that it's trying to do? Um, Will any countries require the chemicals industry to to contribute? And do we need to specially earmark this money in some sort of independently controlled fund to make sure it goes to the right places? So that's number one is financing. And the second working group is about issues of concern. This is basically chemicals management topics that have been decided that they need global attention. Now SciChem has highlighted eight of these issues in the past, uh, such as chemicals and products, lead and paint, endocrine disrupting chemicals and PFAS. And there've been some projects and scattered action on them, but the results have been patchy at best. And it's usually the developed countries that have, have success in closing the gaps on this and, and the developing countries just don't have the resources a lot of times to do anything about them. So oddly enough, actually, the focus with this virtual working group and with the negotiations has not been about how do we make sure developing countries can execute these programs better, but it's actually about how we could name additional issues of concern. And there's been some papers that have been put out on this and industry has weighed in um, about how we could find and classify new issues of concern under the SciChem framework. Now, the third working group is about uh, targets, indicators and milestones, which is basically a way of trying to quantify the goals of the framework because sound chemicals management globally is a pretty vague term. Uh, So they want to quantify the goals and then they want to track how countries are doing at achieving each of those goals. And finally, the fourth group is about ways to support implementation of the framework. And one key topic here is that it may include establishing something called a science policy interface which would basically be a scientific body that could write reports, do research and support the work of the framework.
1: Okay, thanks very much, Ginger.
3: So uh, what about the next steps? Well, um, the the virtual working groups are meant to report back to the delegates at the meeting in March, 2021 in Bucharest. So we're really at the mercy of the coronavirus right now, waiting to see
1: if that goes forward. Okay, well, thanks very much. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you again to Geraint, Terry and Ginger for sharing their insight into today's stories with us. And thank you to you, our audience, for listening to today's episode. We hope you found it valuable. If you would like to find out more about the topics from today's discussion, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week. And until then, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety.
0: The Chemical Watch Podcast.